morning, Fellowship Church, and welcome to Palm Sunday. Hosanna. Hosanna. Very good. Thank you, Ryan. So the scripture this morning is from Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls, sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For whenever, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Amen. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, thank you for that you entered Jerusalem, that you knew what was going to happen, and you did it with us in mind. You did it with each of us individually, Lord, so that we can be washed white as snow, so that we can live in newness of life. And I pray, Lord, that in this holy week that myself, my family, each family that's represented here would, would celebrate, would take time to be in your presence and Lord would allow this word that Chris has to bring this morning, Lord would allow it to change us, to give us hope, to give us courage and Lord to, to be able to face not only what is in front of us in this world but to look forward to the home we have with you. Thank you Jesus for this time together. Thank you for being together on this Palm Sunday and Lord we love you and praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, right? And you know, one of the things we say, we just sang was like, Christ be magnified in me, right? That our, our goal as believers of Christ is to not get the attention for ourselves, but to magnify Christ. And so I think the things of God are kind of woven into even the, the DNA of our heart. So even people that, whether they know Christ or not, there's just things about God that are like woven into them. For example, um, you know, we... we 
oftentimes are a world that um, celebrates people when they sacrifice, celebrates that the ability and the, and the want to go and, and be a protector for others. For example, um, I have a really high view of the military, people that would be willing to um, lay down their life for the freedoms that we have in this country. And if you've served in the armed forces, thank you so much uh, for doing that. I have such respect for um, the police and the first responders that are running into the fire and running in to protect people and, and to love people, right? Those, those firemen run into a firing, a building to try to rescue those and bring them out that are lost in their way. Just um, such a respect. And I know this week has been um, kind of a heavy heart for many people with the things that happened in Tennessee and, and the shootings that went on there. And I just want to take a couple of moments just to pray uh, for that church community and that school that uh, lost some kids and lost some teachers in that. Um, and just, uh, just think of them as the, the body of Christ this week, just praying for them um, that they lost. If you don't mind, if you would just pray with me. Lord, I thank you so much for um, your spirit, which is the comforter. And Lord, I pray that your spirit will just um, envelop and, and be in the presence of this church that lost loved ones, Lord, and lost those that children and teachers and others, Lord, that were hurt in this, um, this act that happened this week, Lord. I pray that your spirit will be there to comfort them in their loss, Lord. Help us today as we dive into your word to see the truth of your word. In your name we pray, amen. And this idea of sacrifice has been something that um, is woven throughout the scripture. So let's, let's look at it starting in verse 11 of chapter 9. It says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. So remember, Jesus being our great high priest, right? Um, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Remember, we've been talking about this heavenly tent, this heavenly tabernacle, and that the, the tabernacle here was just a copy of that. Moses saw that and he wrote down as much as he could. So this, what we have is the shadow, right? This is the like dull version of what's in heaven. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption that Christ, with his once for all sacrifice for us, gave us all security of our redemption in him. That's the good news of the gospel, right? Now for us in 2023, we don't really have a reference to the sacrificial system. Right? The best we could do is thinking about people that are willing to sacrifice here, but we want to take a step back. So we're going to have like a, a little break in the sermon. We're going to do something like sacrificial system 101, just so we can see a little bit about what the author was intending by these things by putting ourselves into that sort of mix as well, which means we're going to go to everyone's favorite book, Leviticus, right? Let's go to Leviticus chapter 1. All right, turn back. All right, I know you guys read this day by day. Every day, Leviticus, let's go, all right. Um, so Leviticus, if you haven't yet, Leviticus is a pretty cool book. Now, now listen, it is like the manual for the priest. So anybody read those manuals when you got to put something together from Ikea? No, you just, you don't. You, you look at the pictures, right? There's no pictures. Right, so, but this is the detailed instructions of what it meant to be a priest, how to do the offerings and how to do all these things. Look what it says in verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And he said, See, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. So what's going to happen is we're going to see these different sacrifices, but there's going to be duplicates because if you bring a bull, this is what you do with it. If you bring something from the flock, like a goat or a lamb, this is what you do with it. If you bring a bird, 
This is what you do with it, right? So there's going to be sort of these repeats as you go through. If you're just reading through Leviticus on a, a yearly plan, it's going to be like, this, they already said this. But yeah, there's different types of sacrifices based upon people's incomes, based upon what they could afford to do, all those sort of different things, right? Now, inside of that Levitical system, there's basically five primary sacrifices. And the first seven chapters of the book of Leviticus give us those titles. So let's fast forward a little bit to kind of get the conclusion and that way we can um, see these different things all listed together. So if you go to chapter 7, verse 37, it's going to give us a list of these primary sacrifices. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai. On the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord, in the wilderness of Sinai. So there's listed six things there. One of them, the ordination offering, was a very, very specific thing for the priesthood. So it wasn't designed for the people of God. It was designed for the priesthood. So we're taking that one out, and there's five primary different sacrifices that the people would give inside of this sacrificial system. And it starts in chapter 1. So it's pretty easy. If you want to know the five, it's chapter 1, then chapter 2 is the second one, chapter 3, then chapter 4, then chapter 5. So just it's, that's how they're laid out for us. So let's go to verse 3. So here's the first type of sacrifice. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish and shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and he may that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and he shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So here's the picture. I brought in this, this cow, right, from the herd, the best of it, my, my flock, and I brought him here, and you're going to put your hand on them, and you're going to confess your sins to this animal. So this animal now is going to be dying on your behalf because the wage of sin is death, right? So there's got to be the shedding of blood. So this now is this Animal is now going to be my sacrifice. It's going to die in my place. What for? What was the purpose? For atonement. Right, it's going to make atonement. We'll talk next week about atonement, propitiation, these really awesome biblical words we're going to talk about next week. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So this is all happening in the outer court, the brazen altar, that the atonement is made, and now we have a burnt offering. Now, if you want to keep reading, it's interesting, but don't read it right before lunch. Because there's like, okay, we're going to take out the entrails and we're going to wash them off and then we're going to put them in the fire. And there's all kinds of like details. Remember, instruction manual for the priests and how to do the things that God wanted them to do. But this was a burnt offering. This meant every single piece of this animal was going to be burned up. What was it representing? Our sin is going to be taken away completely. The sin burnt up completely. Nothing left of our sin. There's no like strands of our sin to hold us captive anymore. We've been set free. So this burnt offering was meant to be this example of death for sin. Okay, that's the burnt offering. All of it consumed. Okay, now here's the second one. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be from a fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. So here's the picture. There's a bowl. In that bowl, fine flour, 
right, which represents the first fruits of your, uh, this farming community kind of thing, the first fruits of your uh, labor, and then oil, which represents the Holy Spirit traditionally throughout these things, right, and then frankincense. We've heard of that many times before, right? We've seen frankincense with the bread on the show table in the holy place. Remember, we had the bread and the frankincense and the oil, and then the wine came in, the Lord's Supper picture. We have all these kind of pictures before. Also, the frankincense was a type of incense as well. So you have this bowl that you bring for him, and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and they shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So you have this bowl, the priest would put his hand in, and he would throw it into the fire and burn it up. The frankincense would make this wonderful smell that would come up. This would be the pleasing aroma. But then there's still a bowl. What was, what was the purpose of this rest of the bowl? Then it says, But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and all his sons. It is the most holy part of the Lord's food offering. So the leftovers would be used by the priests. This is what they would make the showbread out of for the holy places. Also, how they would pay the Levites for their time. Because remember, they didn't get land as a 12th tribe of Israel. They had a specific job. So it was the means that other 12 were helping take care of the priests in that way. What was the purpose of the grain offering? You might have noticed it said it was a memorial. It was a sacrifice of remembrance. Interesting, right? The components of the bread were used for remembrance. And, of course, in front of us is the bread and the wine, which is we do in remembrance of him because Jesus was the bread of life, right? So we see these little early pictures of Jesus inside of these offerings. It's meant to be an offering of thanksgiving. So atonement, sacrifice number one, something dies in our place. Number two, right, the bread of life poured out for us, this sort of picture being pointed inside of the sacrificial system. In chapter three, we have the peace offering. Again, we could read very similar details. That's your homework. I'll let you do all the fun stuff at home. Read through Leviticus, okay, on your own. But this idea here is that the the peace offering was going to be another bull that comes out and is being preached upon. It says if the his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. So now there's no stipulations really on what this offering, just an animal that's being brought. Why? Because this peace offering was meant to be an, an offering of fellowship. They, they, would, they would basically butcher the animal and then they would cook it on the altar. And it was meant to be, maybe you could say like first barbecue kind of idea, right? Or at least potluck, right? First kind of potluck in the church because they would take this food and they would give like the right breast and the right thigh of the animal would go to the priest and all the rest of it would go back with the family. Now, if any of you have ever butchered a cow before, you know how much meat that is. That's not just like supper, right? That's like supper for a lot of people. So this particular offering was meant to be an offering of fellowship that you brought people together for this particular meal, right? So this is meant to be this meal of celebration, this bringing together almost like a feast that was supposed to be before them in this peace offering, okay? Then the fourth one, now we get serious because it's called the sin offering. Okay, look what it says in verse one of chapter four. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about the things not to be done, and he does them. So this is meant to be a sacrifice of unintentional 
sin. Now, this sin offering could be offered for a group of people. In other words, I could offer a sin offering for my family, but it's designed for unintentional sin. What sort of sins are unintentional? Well, we hurt each other's feelings all the time. Or if you drive in Houston, you know what it means to hurt people's feelings all the time. They're the things of the world. How many times have we hurt people's feelings? I know I've hurt people's feelings because I'm in my own world when I'm walking around. I don't even say hi to people because I'm just like, I'm off to my thing, right? Like, he didn't even say hi to me. I'm sorry. I, I probably do that to all of y'all. Sorry. Right? My mind's on something different. I'm thinking about all these offers. No, but you, you have all these things that sometimes we hurt people unintentionally, and that's the purpose of this sin offering. It's meant, but there's something different. Something different about this offering that's different than the atonement. Look, let's keep going. Look what it says in verse 5. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. So now this sacrifice is made, but the blood is now going to be taken into the holy place, put upon the altar of incense there. So we now have this sort of sin offering going into the heart of God. It's like a new thing being brought in to him, right? But then what happens to all the rest of the bull or the animal that sacrificed? Look down in verse 11. But the sin of the bull and all of its flesh with its head and its legs and its entrails and its dung, all the rest of the bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place, all the ash heap, and shall burn it up on a fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. So what happens to the rest of the animal? The blood's taken into the holy place. The rest is taken outside the camp and burned outside the camp. Why is that significant? Well, because when you look at Leviticus 16.6, remember we were talking about this day of atonement. What is the day of atonement? It's a sin offering for the people. And we know that Christ was going to be that atoning lamb for us. Where was Christ taken? Outside of the city. He was taken out to Golgotha. He was taken outside of the city gates to become that offering for us. Isn't that crazy? It's almost like God had a plan in all of these things. It's almost like he's pointing us towards, hey, this system screams out, Jesus. But there's even better news because sometimes we sin intentionally, don't we? Sometimes we know, I should not say this, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? And I'm just going to say it, and it doesn't usually go well, right? We know, nope, nope, don't do it. We just, we just do. No, no, I shouldn't. Whatever it is, whatever our vices, whatever our bents towards sin are, we know them. We know that if I end up in this place at this time with this thing, I'm going to fall. And we still set it up. And we still do it. We said, so we, we need to sacrifice for intentional sin. We need to sacrifice for the times that we cross the line intentionally and plan on it. And that's what we have next in this guilt offering. Look what it says in chapter 5. We'll turn forward to verse 14 in chapter 5, right? It talks about how we now have this guilt offering, something that we have been made guilty. We know we're guilty of something intentional. In fact, let's go down to 6, verse 1, for lack of time. But um, you can read that when we get home. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of Faith. Wait, I thought faith was a New Testament word. You mean in the whole time it's been about faith? You mean even with Abraham? It was counted as righteousness because he believed God? That even in this sin portion, it's about our faith, right? It says, who's made a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor 
in a manner of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all these things that the Lord do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt, he will restore what he took by robbery. So in this guilt offering, you had the same idea of being forgiven of your sin, but you were supposed to restore something. That what you did wrong and you knew you did wrong, you were supposed to come back and restore that relationship. Put your faith back in. Put your stuff back in the hands of those that you had taken them from. So this guilt offering was meant to be restorative, bringing back into right fellowship. And crazy enough. All right, let's go forward. Let's go to Isaiah 53. Because when we're talking about the suffering servant, Isaiah is talking about this man that was going to come and lay down his life for the people. Look what he says in verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. So Christ was going to come and not only be the atoning sacrifice, not only be the bread of life that brought us into right fellowship with God, and not only for our sins, but he was going to be covering our guilt. That means we don't have to feel guilt and shame anymore. Isn't that good news? Because you guys feel it all the time. I feel it all the time. I'd be like, no, I'm not going to feel that right now. No, I'm not going to hold on to that anymore. That Christ has died for us. Look, look what it says in the rest of this passage. For he sees the offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Isn't that good news? That Christ is the intercessor for us, the mediator of this new covenant. That the sacrificial system was God's idea all along the way to point to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Now, you know what's even crazier than that? If you were to go back to Genesis, do you realize in the book of Genesis there were sacrifices? In fact, go back to Genesis 3, right? You remember the fall, right? And, and Adam and Eve were, were naked and exposed. How did God clothe them? He sacrificed an animal, right? He covered them with the skins of an animal. And in verse 21 of chapter 3, it says that God sacrificed an animal to clothe them. But this was an outer covering. It didn't cover their conscience and their soul. That that was what was going to be led to death. And then what happens in chapter 4 in Genesis? Cain and Abel, they bring an offering to the Lord, right? Abel brings of the flock, of the sheep, the first, the best of the flock. And his, God looked upon his offering with favor. But Cain, not so much. And what happened with Cain? Jealousy. It's Sin is crouching at your door and violence because of the offering. It's about our heart. The offering is about not just costly for what it costs us to give, but it's also about our heart. Do we have the right attitude about our worship? So now, as we see this sort of picture that the Jewish people were growing up in and that they understood and that they saw all around them, now let's go back to Hebrews and see this idea that they're pointing out about this sacrificial system. Let's look at verse 13. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, in words, if the sacrificial system was something that they believed in, says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? If a bull or a goat or a pigeon could cover your sins, how much more is Christ's sacrifice? How much better is Christ than that system? Because not only does he cleanse the outside, but he cleanses the inside. Because not only is he the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, like John 1.29 says, but he also, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's committed his spirit to the Lord as well. So he's cleansed us from the inside and the outside. And, and listen, it might be a little weird. If this is your first Sunday here, man, y'all talk about blood a lot in this church, right? Kind of a little bit strange, right? Have you ever noticed that? If you were to talk about things like this to people, because Leviticus 17.11 says that life is in the blood. And this is why there must be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins, right? So we have this sort of system that's been set up. But if you're on the outside looking in, you got to admit it's a little weird, like, for example, I remember when we first were doing youth ministry here at Fellowship Church, we had all the youth over to our house, which is, could happen back in the day because there was like 12 of them. And so they all came to our house, and we were having a time hanging out and, and having a great time. But we went out into our garage one night, and we were doing worship out in the garage. We just had YouTube on, and we had a projector on, and people could just um, add songs to the queue. And, and we just started worship about 10 p.m. We just started worshiping the Lord, and it was awesome. We are just in the garage, just like summer night, open the garage, just like sweaty in there, but it was just amazing. The Holy Spirit showed up, and we're just singing, and we're praising. We're just getting into it. We're praying for one another. It was amazing. The Spirit of God showed up. It finished at 3 a.m. It was like five hours of just like getting caught up and worshiping. That's amazing, right? Isn't that awesome? Some of them had a curfew of 1 a.m., and we didn't even know the clock at that point. We didn't even know what happened, right? And so they called my boss, Jonathan Leftwich, and the, you know, some of the parents called him, and here's, the, here's their critique. Chris, we think Chris is a cult leader. <laughs> we think he's a cult leader because he's got him in the ground. I'm not a cult leader. Like, let me send him a list of the playlist, right? Here's the songs we played. Oh, the blood. <laughs> Nothing but the blood. <laughs> I surrender all. I think I'm a cult leader. I mean, like when you start thinking about the songs that we sang even today, right? What do we say? Like, none of me, all of you. Oh, the blood speaks a better word, right? The blood, our righteousness. The blood, this. If you're out there, we're weird. And we are. And that's okay. We're different. We're not of this world, right? So just understand that when they hear of the things we do in here, it may not make sense. But when you're in it, do you see the picture that God's painting for us of why his blood had to be shed for us? Because it takes away our guilt. It takes away our sin. It becomes an atoning sacrifice and a memorial for us to remember, which brings us into right fellowship with him, that all of this sacrificial system was meant to make Jesus unmistakable. He was the one that fulfilled all of these things that we see in the Old Testament. Jesus checked all the boxes. Now, put your faith in him. Now, believe. It's not blind faith. It's faith like I see all of these things God has done since the creation of the world to point us to Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel message. That's what the author of Hebrews is pointing out 
to us, okay? It says this in verse 15. It says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. So we're promised an inheritance. Now listen, I don't know a whole lot, but inheritance is what happens after someone dies and they give you things, right? So inheritance is an after-death sort of experience, right? In fact, let's go to 1 Peter um, chapter 1. Because it describes this. Now, this is, this is some stuff you should put in your memory because this is some good stuff right here. All right. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. Who could use some living hope? Who could lose, leave? We want hope, this joyful confidence in God, living and active. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That your inheritance in God is these four things. Look at this description, right? Here's the first one. Imperishable. That is not going to be destroyed. There's no decay. Moth and rust will not destroy the things that you're banking in heaven. Right? The things that you get a chance to, to live with the Lord someday. None of that is going to decay. It's why our treasures are in heaven. Our treasures aren't here on the earth. Then it says, um, undefiled. That the, the treasures that we have in heaven, the, this eternal life with God in heaven, it's pure. The sins of this world are not going to be there. We have pure joy, pure love, pure goodness in the presence of God. It's unfading. It's bright. It's not dull. This world is the dull part. Can you imagine? What if there's other colors we get to experience? If this is the shadow, how bright is it going to be in heaven? The things we get to see, the things we get to experience, the most beautiful thing here is the shadow, the dull grayscale version of what's in heaven for us someday. That's good news. The valuable stuff here is the streets there. That's how good God is. And kept in heaven for you, that your inheritance is secure. There's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. You remember that song back in the day, right? And that, that was fun, right? But that God has been the one to guarantee our inheritance. That's the good news of the gospel. We have the Holy Spirit as our guarantor of that promise. Isn't that exciting? We get to look forward to this day when all of the things of this earth fade away and we get to be with Jesus. What do we get when we get to heaven? We get Jesus and all of his glory. That's what we look forward to. All right? Let's look back um, in Hebrews because he keeps this kind of idea of inheritance going. Let me finish the rest of the, the verse that is there. Right? So he says, may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So Christ's death saved us from the law of the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. So he's going to use as a picture for us this idea of a will, a will and testament, right? That when someone dies, this will goes into effect. Now, interestingly, this word will is the same word for covenant. If you look it up in the Greek, it's the same exact word. So this idea of covenant, the first covenant, second covenant is the idea of the will, meaning that when a death occurs, this particular bonus goes into effect for us, this sort of result of that. So this will. For will takes effect only at death, since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. And by the way, this is what's so insulting about the prodigal son story. Remember that in Luke 15, prodigal son story? 
What is he saying to his dad when he says, hey, give me my inheritance now? What is he saying to his dad? I wish you were dead. You're dead to me. I just want what you, uh, just give me what I can have now. And he goes and he squanders it. And you know what? The father runs to him and restores him. Put it on the ring and put it on the robe. Brings him back into sonship once again. And that's good news for us because when we wander, he brings in. Let's not be the older brother. Misses the blessing because we're too angry about all the grace that's being poured out to others. Right? Let's, let's celebrate God's grace being poured out to others instead of being jealous of those things. Um, let's finish out with this. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. There was a vital part of the first covenant was the sacrificial system. For every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people. And he took the blood of calves and goats with the water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. By the way, can I show you what, this is what hyssop looks like. I don't know if you know what it looks like. kind of looks like a blue bonnet a little bit, right? But it's got these kind of leaves that that's what they would dip in the blood and they would sprinkle. They weren't like throwing the bowl on the altar, right? It was still kind of bloody, but it was like more of like a sprinkle type thing that was happening around the altar with this hyssop that was there, all right? And then verse 20 says, saying this, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. Doesn't that sound a little bit familiar? Like this is the blood of my covenant, which is established for you. Do this in remembrance of me, right? It has some of the echoes of that Lord's Supper in there. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood, but sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used for worship. Since under the law, almost everything, or ev- almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we see that established here. So what are a couple truths that we could take out of this? Number one is this, the final two thoughts. Number one, your sin is costly. And we have a tendency to underestimate the cost of our sin, don't we? We think, oh, it's not that big a deal. Oh, it's not that big a thing. When actually death is being brought into. It's like bringing in the roadkill into your house. Even if it's under the rug, it's still there. You're still going to feel the effects of that when you bring death in to a fellowship. Here's the second thing, right? That Jesus paid it all. Our sin is costly, but Jesus paid it all. But we have a tendency to underestimate the effect that Jesus should have on our life. We give him this little corner. We give him this little room. We give him this little part. Instead of his death paid it all, and he deserves it all. So it's no longer... I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So if there's areas of your life that you've kind of sectioned off and said, well, God can't be on this part. He can be on this part, but not this part. God isn't going to stay satisfied with that. He's going to start busting down that wall because he deserves it all. Because he paid the price for us. And that's what we're going to celebrate today. That's what we're going to celebrate with the Lord's Supper is his death for us and the cost of it all. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful sacrificial system, Lord, which pointed them towards you. But, Lord, even inside of this culture, Lord, some of them missed it. Some of them missed the beauty and the glory of your sacrifice. Lord, help us not to miss it. Help us to see how beautiful a picture this is, pointing towards you as our ultimate sacrifice, our ultimate atonement. Lord, that is what we're celebrating every Sunday when we come in here. We're celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Lord, today as we take the Lord's Supper, may it be a remembrance for us 
about how good you are. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we want to close out with the Lord's Supper. So let me give you some instructions, okay? If you're in one of the side sections, you're going to go towards the wall, and you're going to come up kind of this middle aisle to help with the flow. If you're in the pie section, right, pie contest coming up, ladies, right, don't forget about that. But you're all going to come together and make this the flow down, and this is the flow up. Remember, good luck. All right. So you guys are going to flow together here and then flow back up this aisle, all right? So the middle, like, think of Moses in the Red Sea, so... Y'all kind of got to part to those sides and kind of flow up that way, right? And, and after we take that, Neth is going to read some scripture and lead us in this Lord's Supper. If you guys would stand, we're going to take the Lord's Supper right now. Young, come forward already. Young, go ahead and come forward and get it and get your Lord's Supper.
I'm going to share a passage with us this morning out of Exodus chapter 12. And this is the commandments that the Israelites were supposed to do before the 10th plague of the death of the firstborn. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not follow the destroyer to enter the house to strike you. Every time I read this passage, I think of a little boy coming out of the door and seeing his dad putting the blood on the doorpost. And he asked his dad, why are you doing that? And he said, because the sacrifice that was made for you, this blood, is so the angel of death will pass over and save you. And he says, wait, dad, you missed a spot over here. Put a little more up here. And if we're not careful, we can think the same way. We can say that Jesus' blood is not enough for us. We can say we need to clean up our life in this area before we can come to Christ. Or we need to, we need to, if he just knew about this sin in my life, then he would never forgive me. But church, the blood is enough. There's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can bring to the table that's going to earn our spot, that's going to earn that grace, that's going to earn that mercy. It's a free gift that we have to accept. Let's pray. God, we bow before your throne this morning, and we thank you for that sacrifice that was made. We praise you for who you are, for what you are, God. God, I lift up everyone in this room this morning that's partaking of the Lord's Supper and remembering that sacrifice that was made. I pray that we'll have open minds, clear minds, and focus on what it means. The body that was broken, the blood that was shed for our place, because God, we're not good enough, but the, the blood that Jesus shed is enough for us. And as we take it this morning, just help us remember that sacrifice that was made. And it's in his name we pray, amen. So as a church, let's take the bread together, which represents the body. And then we'll take the cup and do the same. And in leaving, I want to share a passage with you from Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's a reason to celebrate, church. So as we go out into this week, let's share that free gift with everyone that we meet. You are dismissed.